Ladies and gentlemen and hockey fans of all ages, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Hockey Fan Chat where we like to get opinions from all hockey fans. I am your host, Randy Dillon. Before I get into our latest episode, I quickly am just going to touch on the news that came out yesterday where 11 players from the NHL were tested positive for COVID-19. Austin Matthews from Toronto Maple Leafs were tested positive. There was players in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization and staff that were tested positive and their facility had to be shut down. As much as I do miss watching hockey and the excitement, I wish everyone a healthy speed recovery because at the end of the day, lives are so much more important in the world of spending time with your friends and family. In our latest episode of the Hockey Fan Chat, I am very excited for this one. We are joined by a Pittsburgh Penguin fan all the way from Pennsylvania. He gives us his intake on why he's a Penguin fan, how important Mario Lemieux was to the organization, a couple of their Stanley Cup runs, some of the players like Crosby, Malcolm, a little bit into the Phil Kessel situation, the defense, and hopefully the upcoming play-in round against the Montreal Canadiens. Please welcome my guest, Pittsburgh Penguins fan, Nick. Hey, Hello. Nick, how's it going? Good, how are you? Um, good, thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Love talking hockey. My first question, are you from the Pittsburgh area? or? Yeah, I was actually born and raised in Johnstown, which is about an hour and 15 minutes outside. And then when I went to college, I went to Point Park University, which is right in downtown. Lived there for about five years. And now I'm back in Johnstown for a little bit. But yeah, always around the same area. So you've always been a Penguins fan since you were a little kid? or? Yeah, yeah, it all started when I was really, really young. My dad, when we watched games, he would mute the TV and we'd put on Mike Lang and his radio call. And ever since then, just listening to Lang call the game, that's where I also started getting into the media side of it and talking about hockey, broadcasting and all of that. Ever since then, I've been a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, as far as I can remember. Did you watch any of like the Lemieux Yager era or were you a little too young then? a little bit too young then i was born in 96 so it was very slim pickings on when it came to getting to see those two play i do remember seeing lemieux play a little bit more than i remember yager i don't really remember him as a pittsburgh penguin at all i could imagine though lemieux coming back that must have been a huge story oh yeah the big time and that is probably one of the biggest stories to this day for that entire organization and if you ask anybody who was old enough to remember it what is the biggest penguins game that you remember like what had the most hype yes some people will say the stanley cup finals games a couple game sevens but realistically the lemieux return was the biggest one especially if you're just talking regular season the lemieux return was the biggest game in hype and just everything else for the franchise's history before they got Lemieux, like from what I read, like the franchise was like, it was disaster mode. Like everything was going south. They were hoping that one pick would be him. And he just turned it around so much with those two Stanley Cups. Yeah. And he's still doing it today. He mm-hmm. saved the franchise on multiple occasions. They had a couple bankruptcy hearings, even with him there. It was a tough time to be a Pittsburgh Penguins fan back mm-hmm. then from, I mean, you look at it, the team got locked out of the building in multiple occasions, several years apart, but he really did save the franchise as a player. And then he moved on to saving it as an owner. There would not be hockey in Pittsburgh if it wasn't for Mario Lemieux. And then it's kind of more ironic. The team starts struggling in game, but then Sidney Crosby and Kenny Malcolm come along and they again just turn around the franchise even more. Yeah, and in back-to-back years in that draft, of course, Malkin ending up being a little bit later of an addition because of trying to get out of Russia and everything. But those two guys really, it's fortunate for Pittsburgh Penguins fans to have been able to watch four generational talents, all basically their careers lining up. 
we had Lemieux first, and of course, if we had Yager, and those two were together, and then Lemieux goes away, Yager takes over, Yager goes away, Lemieux comes back, and then we have Crosby and Malkin to take over for them. So we've been really blessed, and I, I think a lot of Penguins fans understand that it is difficult to get a player of that magnitude and to be able to have four for the last 30-plus years. It's just a true blessing, and it's fun to watch. Oh, no, I could imagine. My earliest memory of hockey was I was very little. I can't remember the time, maybe six, I would think. We went to a hockey game, and they were playing the Penguins. My mom was telling me, watch out for Laurie Lemieux, and I'm just like, oh, my. Like, that when I first got into hockey, but all the talk, I could hear how amazing he was, the puck just. And for him as well, it was coming back from cancer at the time was just incredible. I have fond memories of it, but still, I think it's still pretty crazy. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting franchise. If you look at the entire history of the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's stuff that you would never even think of. The, like I said, the bankruptcy hearings, even back when they had their first mascot, which was an actual penguin, but they got the wrong type of penguin and he caught pneumonia and they did have him stuffed. And then all of a sudden somebody stole the stuffed penguin. So someone probably in the Pittsburgh area is sitting there with original penguin Pete was his name. So somebody in the Pittsburgh area is has him probably in their man cave or something. It's just so many crazy stories when it comes to that franchise over the past, what, 53 years it is now. So it's truly always entertaining. Good to hear. And I could imagine, I think this season out of like maybe the past number of seasons, the Penguins, you could say have been an up and hill turn just with all the, the injuries one they went through, but also with the amount of changes, the expectation of the ways. Could you agree? Yeah, 16-17, you have the Stanley Cup championships, and you're at the top of the mountain there. And then 18, you had a really good run, and I thought they had a really good team in 2018. They just couldn't finish off the Capitals, which is fine. I mean, you've won two back-to-back championships. I think at the end of that, it was almost like, a okay, the run is over, but we don't have to be upset about it. So that was fine. And then, of course, last year, you looked at it, and the team was okay, had some issues, and you go into the playoffs, and you get embarrassed by the Islanders. You knew Jim Rutherford was looking to shake some things up, and he did in a big way in that offseason. Lots of trades coming out, of course, sending Phil Kessel and sending Ole Mata, a player that Rutherford really liked, and then just continued to shake it up throughout the season. And even you saw right before the trade deadline this year, the Penguins started to play a little bit rougher and they really weren't doing all that well right before the trade deadline. So what does Rutherford do? He goes out and acquires four more forwards. Now, part of that is due to the injuries, as you mentioned, but it's really interesting to see how much Rutherford just switches gears. And we've talked about him already. He knows that he has Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin for a finite amount of years. So he's going to keep trying to keep the window open for those guys. And that's something that can't be understated as a fan standpoint, that this guy really wants to bring more championships now. I 100% agree because he has been very active as a GM. I'm just like, I was looking earlier online and you couldn't believe how many trades he's made through this team since his tenure. And some of them you got to give credit. Phil Kessel was a big one. Acquiring Justin Schultz, Carl Hagelin, Trevor Daly. And then you look at some of the moves, unfortunately, backfire. Um, signing Jack Johnson, trading for Erica Branson, and getting trading Ole Mata. But he's always an active GM. And I think that's why he's been able to take the team from, they were wondering, can they still win, to, hey, they're actually a legitimate team and they can still win a cup. Yeah, he's always busy. As a fan, you look at it as, well, if the team's going to struggle, you know he's not afraid to make a change, which is good. Because sometimes that's what they need. You need to have a change and you need to have somebody who has his finger on the trigger and knows what the team needs. That's a big thing for Rutherford. And there's a reason that he's a Hall of Famer. He knows what a team needs. He can watch and evaluate so well. And I think his staff, his scouting staff, and everybody else that's in that organization is all first rate. And I think that really helps out as well, especially him knowing what needs to be done and then not being afraid to go out there and do it. And 
You mentioned he did make a couple bad moves. You signed Jack Johnson to that monster deal for five years. Somebody that wasn't really necessarily looked at as a guy that was needed by the Pittsburgh Penguins. A bigger, not really puck moving, kind of just stout, trying to be defensive defenseman. And the first year, his contract was not good. Last season was not good for Jack Johnson. But if you look at this season, he's played a little bit better. And even when he had an increased role at some point, while I'm still not saying it was a good move to sign Jack Johnson, I think it's starting to look a little bit better here as time progresses. Now, I guess the big question for Rutherford, I think, going to go forward is figuring out the goaltending because I think conversation for goaltending and picks, I would have to say, it's been high since the 2012 playoff against the Flyers where Flurry unfortunately didn't have his best year but ever since then I find picks for goaltending has always been a question and I think even more a question now Matt Murray was supposed to be the guy of the future he struggled Tristan Jury the guy do you think Rutherford need to address that could Murray or Jury get the job done or do they have someone in the pipeline they think will do it I think their organizational depth from a goaltending standpoint is better now than I think it's been since I can remember in the league back in the day, you only needed that stud number one goaltender and the backup was the backup. It was just somebody who's going to go in and play 10 games, maybe win five, maybe win four, whatever. It was the backup. But now you need in the NHL to have multiple goalies that can play a lion's share of the games. I mean, you look at the way that the Penguins won the Cups in 16 and 17. You had Flurry and Murray that both contributed to both of those Cups. And you look at the way that Boston and all the top teams are doing it now. It's really, you're going to need more than one goaltender in this league, but I think Matt Murray is a lot better than what he showed this year. He had a down year overall, his career wise. He still has pretty decent numbers. Tristan Jari was an all-star this year though. And it's going to be tough whenever play resumes to see who they go with right now. I think they're leaning towards starting it off with Matt Murray, but he is going to have a very short leash organizational wise. They do have Casey DeSmith. He proved last year that he's a very good backup goaltender in the NHL. And then they have a funny guy from Finland. His name is Emil Larmy. He's struggling to get back to Pittsburgh, but he's also pretty good. This is his first year in the system. He played in Wilkes-Barre, spent a little bit of time in the ECHL as well with Wheeling. He seems like a goaltender that could come in and play really significant role for the Penguins down the line and in the future. Future, but they're going to have to make a decision this offseason. I don't know what it's going to be personally. I think it's going to be Matt Murray getting the boot, and I think they're going to go with Tristan Jari just because Murray is a little bit older and he's going to command a little bit more money. I mean, they're roughly the same age, but in the league goes, Matt Murray's been in the league longer and he's going to need more money to come back than somebody like Tristan Jari is. So I think they move on with Matt Murray and I think they go with Tristan Jari for the future and I think Casey DeSmith's their backup. So I think they're good either way, but it is definitely going to be a hard decision. I think maybe a saving grace to that would be the return of play. Hopefully everything works out with that. If Matt Murray can lead them on to another cup or a long playoff run, do you think that then keeps the job in Pickford or will they still go with Tristan Jari? To be completely honest, if he leads them to another cup and that would be three in what, five years as an NHL starting goaltender, I think that just further gets him out the door. Because I think at that point, the Penguins will really not be able to re-sign him because we see where the cap situation is going to be starting next season. It's probably not going to be good. And the Penguins have over 10 restricted free agents and unrestricted free agents to sign back. They do have some young talent in the pipeline that's going to be ready for next season. But at the same time, it's a tough salary cap to get under. Best case scenario, it stays at 81 and a half. Worst case scenario, it goes down. And some people are going to have to take pay cuts, but what you say it happens, and he leads them to a third Stanley Cup in five years, it's going to be hard to re-sign somebody like that. So I think even more so then, you're going to see him get traded, especially because his trade value will be through the roof there too. 
I do see your point there. You're, they really have a lot of money in some players, and it's hard to move. And they got other players they got to sign. A perfect example that a guy like Jake Gensel, who's just been magic playing with the Penguins, that is a good possibility there. You did mention the 2016-17 Cup. I want to talk about that a little bit. Just because how that playoff run started up, no Chris Letang. Matt Murray was supposed to play game one. He got hurt, and then Marc-Andre Fleury comes in, lights out, was lights out against Columbus. Incredible against Washington. And he was decent against Ottawa, had that one bad game, get pulled, Murray takes over and finished the run. Do you think they could have won that 2017 Cup with Matt Murray starting, or did Marc-Andre Fleury play with the reason they went on to win that Cup? I look at that series against Washington, especially. like They had no business being there. Flurry, I think, was the reason they went on to win that round. And then it got a little bit easier just because the team they're playing. But could that have been repeated with Matt Murray going all the way? Or Flurry was the only reason that happened? I think you're 100% right. Marc-Andre Fleury was the reason that they even had a chance against Washington that year. Washington's team has been good for the past five seasons, maybe even more, probably the past decade or so. But I think that series against the Washington Capitals in 2017 was the best hockey Marc-Andre Fleury has ever played in his career, except for the 9 Cup run. Do I think that Penguins could have done that run with just Matt Murray? I have no idea, because the way that Matt Murray played in the finals, especially, I mean, you look at the fact that he shut out the Nashville Predators in Game 5 and Game 6 to close out the Stanley Cup. It's a tough call for that. It's a big what if, and I think that Matt Murray in the playoffs has proven that he is a playoff performer. He does rise to the occasion in the playoffs, but that season, I don't know. It was a tough run because Columbus was no slouch in the first round. Flurry played pretty good there, and it was Gensel and Crosby's coming out party against Columbus, and they just blew him away. And then that Washington series was just so good. Both teams were so good. And Marc-Andre Fleury, especially in that Game 7, is the reason the Penguins won it. So I don't know if they could have done it with Matt Murray the whole time, but luckily they didn't have to. Luckily they had two guys there, and luckily they got the job done. I look at that run, like, they usually say that every round gets harder. I felt for the Penguins, the first two rounds for them were their hardest. Columbus, they were on fire, they had a great season, they were winning. And then Washington, they played, and it was just very strong. And then... No Chris Letang there to start the playoffs. And then they go play against Ottawa, who's already banged up. And then Nashville, they play. Ryan Johansson is hurt. And then you had a mid-30 Mike Fisher going against Sidney Crosby as prime. So I felt that playoff run for them was very interesting, where their first two rounds were their hardest, and it just got easier. I don't know if I would say easier, but it definitely, the challenge changed. Because you're playing Washington, and the challenge is... These guys have one of, if not the best goal scorer of all time in Alexander Ovechkin. These guys have depth. They can match the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to depth and can just roll four lines and be a threat to score at every second of the game. And then the challenge changed to how do we score against this team that is playing so well defensively, playing so well and playing suffocating defense in the Ottawa Senators. It changed up a little bit and it was hard for the Penguins to make that switch because They're a run-and-gun team. Their strength that year was that they were going to outscore you. They were going to play decent defense, but as you mentioned, about Latang, that's tough. They had a lot of people that did step up in that season and that playoff run, but I won't want to say it was easier. There was a sense, both in 16 and 17, that once they beat the Capitals, that nobody was going to beat them. And I'm sure I've talked to a couple Capitals fans and they say the same thing about 18. They they said, listen, we beat the Penguins. It almost felt like we won the Stanley Cup, but we were only halfway there. 
it felt after getting over that hurdle that you couldn't be stopped, that there's nothing that's going to be too hard. There's no obstacle that's going to be too difficult to maneuver around. So I, I think that it might have been a little bit easier in terms of the level of competition from the other team. But at the same time, I mean, they got there, right? That Ottawa got to the finals doing what they do best. Nashville was banged up. And I think if Ryan Johansson is in there, you're 100% right. It is a completely different series because depth down the middle has been the biggest thing when it comes to Stanley Cup champions the last five, six years. If that added depth for Nashville was there, maybe it goes seven games, maybe Nashville takes it. But unfortunately for them, that's why the NHL playoffs especially are the hardest thing to get through to me among all sports. It's the hardest championship to win because you have to go through four grueling rounds of playoff hockey. And sometimes it's just whoever stays the healthiest. Yeah, but I never looked at it like that thing. That way they play change. Because when you go back to that 2016 Cup, after they beat Washington, Tampa Bay, a completely different team, but they were able to stand up to the challenge in San Jose. And then you're right against Ottawa, a completely different team there. And you never know what can happen. You, you get that little lightning in the bottle and it just goes all the way there. Yeah, that 2016 series against Tampa Bay was so much fun. It was very nerve-wracking because that team had so much skill. And you even look at the fact that that year, Ben Bishop was still with the Lightning. He gets injured. Vasilevsky comes in. And nobody knew who Andre Vasilevsky was at that point. Maybe if you were a Tampa Bay fan. But realistically, nobody thought Vasilevsky was going to come in. And all of a sudden, we look at it now, four years later. And he's the top goaltender in the league, in my opinion. I think he took the torch from Carey Price, so... It was such a fun series to watch, especially Steven Stamkos, how good he was when he returned in that series. He didn't play the beginning of that series, but when he returned, how good he was. Nikita Kucherov at that point was still really, really good. And that team was a force to be reckoned with. You look at the amount of overtime games in that series, and it was just great. It was peak Sidney Crosby, too, which made it even better. I feel like in all this where the Penguins got to success, because the years before... There was struggles after they won their 09 Cup. 2010, I guess it was a long year for the Penguins for cut the Olympics. 2011, Crosby, Malcolm out. 2012, the blurry bad playoff. 2013, they play Boston and that lights up. Then 2014, again, upset by the Rangers. I look where a kind of thing changed for this team. And I think a lot of people, I don't hear it up here in Canada, but Mike Sullivan, I don't think gets the credit he deserves as a coach of the Penguins because he came in, this team was struggling. There was questions of, is this team going to win? He gets this team to play a good structure system and takes them on a run. I don't think people saw it. And a lot of people at that point, from what I was hearing, saying, Sidney Crosby no longer gets considered the best in the world. And then all of a sudden, he takes that back. Yeah, I think Mike Sullivan deserves, and a lot of people think this is a hot take. I think Mike De Sullivan deserves Coach of the Year this year, especially because of all the injuries that he's dealt with. And his team finished in seventh place in the NHL. You talk about the names of the people that were missing. I mean, you had Latang out for a long period of time. Malkin missed the beginning of the season. Brian Rust, who turned into the leading goal scorer for the Penguins this year, still missed the beginning of the season. Crosby, Gensel, all these guys were out, and he just had his team play. He knows exactly what buttons to push and when to push it. And just like Rutherford, Sullivan's not afraid to make a move. He's not afraid to bench somebody. He's not afraid to switch the lines up. If somebody is playing well in the bottom six and he thinks he'll play well with Sidney Crosby, put him up there. Otherwise, who else would think that Dom Simone is a first liner? But Mike Sullivan saw something in Dom Simone, put him up on Crosby's line, and all of a sudden, again, lightning in a bottle, those two can produce together. So it's something that when he came in in December of 2015, the team was not good. 
team had that players but doesn't necessarily know how to play the game they didn't know who they were they didn't have an identity and he came in and gave that team an identity and he really strong-armed that team into being a success because they had a lackadaisical start they had struggled under mike johnston in his year and a half there and they had not been able to have playoff success since 2009 i mean in 2013 you made it to the conference finals but they had no business playing against the bruins that year he really brought that winning culture back to Pittsburgh, and it shows how important a good coach is. Just because you have these star players that can take over games doesn't mean that they don't need a strong coach behind them and somebody pulling the strings with the rest of the team. So I agree with you completely that Mike Sullivan needs to get a little bit more recognition, but I don't think that's something that he cares about. He just wants to go out there and win hockey games. 100%. I was telling people he should get coach of the year with all the injuries they've had and all the changes. That we debated, but he took this team where they were struggling and took them all of a sudden to two back-to-back championships as well. And you're right with punch the buttons because the longest time was always Chris Kunin's playing alongside Sidney Crosby. In 2016, in the playoff, it was Connor Sherry. 2017, Jake Gensel came along. So you're right, he's not afraid to try different players. And I think that what makes him a good coach. He's willing to try different things to get things going. Yeah, you're 100% right. He looks at his lineup. He likes to say that he doesn't number his lines. They're all just forward lines. I don't have a first line. I don't have a second line. Now, of course, everybody in the world knows that Sidney Crosby is your first line center, but he just likes to go roll four lines, try to get everybody as equal playing time as possible. Now, of course, it doesn't really happen. You see Chris Letang playing 25 minutes a game. Sidney Crosby's usually around 20 and Malkin's around 20s. It's something that people need to understand how hard it is to be a National Hockey League coach. And yes, he does have some things that go really well for him. Yeah, he has these goalie controversies, but wouldn't anybody else love to have two great goaltenders? But at the same time, that's tough. You don't want to bench one and then make that one not play well, and then the other guy struggles, and all of a sudden you have two good goaltenders that are too much in their own head to play good hockey. He does a really good job managing everything down to the goaltending situations, the forward lines, knowing when to put people in, knowing when to pull people up, and knowing when to bench people. So I think it's something that a lot of Penguins fans take for granted having Mike Sullivan there, and I've said it a couple times in this past season. I said, this season has cemented it that he is the greatest coach in Pittsburgh Penguins history. I think that can be agreed, especially the team they have going in before the season got hold, like the forward group, they had a good defensive core. I was saying to everyone, Pittsburgh playing already good with the injuries. The players they added in Sherry, Marlowe, and Zucker, they're playing them they're playing them thought they were gonna win the cup again. We don't yeah. care. Yeah, I think they were primed to go on a run. And I think they even lucked out with this return to play thing because now they're going to get Jake Gensel back. And all of a sudden, your top six features Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin. But then you have Jason Zucker, who's played really well with Sidney Crosby. You have Brian Rust, who came out this season, was amazing. You have Sherry, who has proven that he can play with Crosby in the playoffs and go to Stanley Cups. And you have Jake Gensel, somebody who I think is going to be a superstar for many years to come. He was on pace for over 90 points this season when he got hurt. It's going to be pretty tough to take out the Pittsburgh Penguins, in my opinion, and it's going to be fun to see what happens against Montreal and then how everything else shakes up with this whole 2014 bracket. We will get to Montreal in a bit, but I just want to talk quickly about the defense for the Penguins. Does Chris Letang should get a little bit more conversation as a better defenseman? I know he's a little bit more of people would say an offensive defenseman. His defensive coverage at time is a little iffy. Like, should he be in the conversation with guys like the Drew Doughty, the Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, or is he, would you say, a little lower? Just because I don't watch him as much compared to Penguins. Yeah, it's hard to say 
with that because of how many injuries and how many health issues he's dealt with over his career. So career-wise, career-long, it's hard for him to match up with those guys. But at the same time, you look at the style of play that he plays. Yes, he's very offensive. He's a puck-moving defenseman. He's not afraid to jump up in the rush. He's not afraid to take it from the point in the offensive zone down behind the net. We saw that's how he scored the game winner in 2016 against San Jose. But what people don't understand is how good he is on the defensive end when he's not trying to make the offensive play. If he stays at home, that makes him one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League. He is really good in his own end. He doesn't get enough credit for that, but also it helps that he always plays with Brian Dumlin, who, when healthy, I believe is the best defenseman on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I love Chris Letang, but I think if you look at what a defenseman needs to be, Brian Dumlin is everything. He can move the puck pretty well. His own end, he is one of the best defensemen in the league, and I think both of those two need to get a little bit more credit. Again, it doesn't really matter because they're out there to win hockey games. Chris Letang has never even sniffed a Norris vote. It's not really a big deal, I think, to them because a lot of Pittsburgh Penguins, you look at it, they're not getting individual awards all that much other than the Crosbys and Malkins. And it doesn't matter to them. And I think, yes, it'd be nice to see Chris Letang get a little bit of recognition nationally. But at the same time, we know what we have in him. We know that we have a perennial all-star He's going to be a Penguins Hall of Famer. Some people think Hockey Hall of Famer. I think that's a stretch. But I think he is a lot better in the defensive zone than anybody gives him credit for. I never thought of that. And even go back to like the playoff run, especially in 2016, just how big of a role he was. And then without him in 2017, there was some struggling. It was more of a committee. But 2016, he was able to carry a lot of that load there. The other thing with the Penguin defense, like I'm astonished at Marcus Patterson. First of all, what a steal by Jim Rutherford again from Anaheim. But I just look at him, especially all the minutes he played this year. He's a gem, I feel, for the Penguin that people might not be talking about, but he could be on the rise of being a very good top four, maybe possibly elite top two defense. Yeah, once again, somebody that's not going to get Norris votes. He's not a flashy style player. He's just the guy that's going to go out there, eat up minutes, and keep the puck out of his own net. Between him... And John Marino, who Rutherford caught this offseason from Edmonton. The defense is pretty much, I think, in the best position it's been in in the past probably decade. Because you have those two guys that are so young and so talented. You still have Chris Letang, who is on the latter end of his prime. Dumoulin's still under 30, so he is one of the better defensemen. I already talked enough about him. And then you have guys like Yuso Rikula. You have a guy in the AHL right now in P.O. Joseph, who they got back in the Kessel trade, that they think is going to be ready by next season already. The Penguins are definitely in a good spot when it comes to their defense core. And Marcus Pedersen is going to lead the light for that defense core because as soon as he came over, you noticed that the guy is not only a stud in his own end, the guy is durable, which is something not a lot of Pittsburgh Penguins have been in the past year and a half. He played 86 regular season games last year because of the trade from Anaheim to Pittsburgh, and he played all of the games this season. So he is somebody that you know is going to be relied upon to eat up minutes, be there every single night, and play really good defense. And then you have other guys playing there, like in their bottom six, Oleskiak, Jack Johnson, who can kind of eat up minutes there and take some pressure off. And then I think out of all this, you forget a guy like Justin Schultz, who, what another coup by Rutherford, how much he's been. Unfortunately, I don't think he'll be able to stay in Pickford unless he takes Mm -hmm. a big pay cut, but that's debatable, you could say. Yeah, Justin Schultz really just came over and became that second pairing puck moving defenseman. And he has the magic tool. He's a right handed puck moving defenseman, which means 
he's going to get as much money as he desires because on the market, that is the number one thing that I think general managers have been looking for the past couple of off seasons. Unfortunately, I don't think he'll be returning to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but I think they've done a good job in refueling behind him with, like I mentioned, Marino, you bring in Pedersen. If you bring back Ricola, I think he's really good. He just doesn't get the playing time because of these other guys that have jumped ahead of him. I think they're pretty well set. And as much as I hate to say it, I don't think Justin Schultz is going to be coming back, but he has been a very important player to this team since he got acquired a couple years ago. You have mentioned Phil Kessel a couple of times. Now, he did do great in his time in Pittsburgh, but I want to kind of get to it. The controversy in the offseason where he got traded, it could be debatable with the package, but then later on coming up saying there was a problem between him and Malcolm. What I've read and heard, Malcolm went to Rutherford and said, either you get rid of him or you get rid of me. When that all kind of came out, what was like kind of your reaction to it? I mean, at that point, everybody in Pittsburgh was on edge because of how much they just got embarrassed by the New York Islanders. I mean, you get swept by a team that was good in their own right, but they were nowhere near, at least on paper, they should have not been anywhere near the Pittsburgh Penguins. But of course, to Barry Trotz's credit, he had that team playing extremely good hockey and beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. The only way that Barry Trotz knows how, just suffocating defense and a suffocating style. And that was great. And then all this comes out. So Penguins fans already on the edge because of just getting embarrassed by the Islanders. Then this comes out that two of their stars don't like each other. And Evgeny Malkin, who is going to be a Hall of Famer, who is one of the top 100 players of all time in the NHL, you have him saying it's either him or me. So clearly it would be Kessel. Now, after a little while, I thought about it and I was like, I don't know if that necessarily happened in that way or if it just came out that way and nobody cared to change the story. But at the same time, Evgeny Malkin was extremely frustrated with the season he had. He scored over 70 points, but he just wasn't playing to the style he wanted to. And there's a lot of talk about, well, is Malkin, you know, finally hitting his decline? Is it over for Evgeny Malkin? Well, he answered that bell this year and it helps, but you still look back and I look back on it now and I'm like, I don't know if it ended that way because of the way that the Pittsburgh Penguins were playing or if the divorce with Phil Kessel was because of a problem that he had with Evgeny Malkin. Now, those two guys were like the best of friends for the majority of the time that Kessel was in Pittsburgh. So I don't know if I could see Malkin getting too frustrated at Kessel. I know Malkin wanted to play with Kessel not on his line because he saw the success they had in 2016 when Kessel was on the third line with Benino and Haglin. So maybe that was something and Kessel only wanted to play on the second line. Who knows why they did it? It was pretty crazy to see that that all came out. That's why I feel like it might not have happened because when stuff like that happens, it probably happens a lot more in the NHL and we don't hear about it. It's just weird that it, that all came out right around that same time. Yeah, no, I do agree with the point you made earlier saying that depending how it was persuaded, I don't honestly believe a player go, running in the GM's office, slamming the door and saying, get rid of this guy, get rid of me. I think we all dream of that, but that's not going to happen. But you're right there with like, I think a buildup of how the season was, a loss to Washington. And they went through, I think as well, with quite a few different players they went through. I know like early in the year, they traded Carl Hagelin, who was a good fit in picks, but played very well. Tanner Pearson did fit well. Then they bring a guy like Gerbranson where the defense is already struggling as it is. That had more, I would say, a pain to do with them losing the Islanders in four because the defense just was a little bit slower and couldn't get the puck. So I just think everything just happened. I, or just the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> you would say. Yeah, it can be a snowball effect. And it is something we talked about earlier. Rutherford is not afraid to make moves. And when he sees something's wrong with his team, he's going to try to fix it. Sometimes he gets it wrong. 
did get it wrong. The Eric Branson trade, not that Branson played poorly. It's just he's not the type of defenseman that I think the Penguins needed at that point because they already had Jack Johnson, who does basically the same exact thing as an Eric Branson. And we saw earlier this season that they decided to get rid of one of them and they couldn't unload Johnson because nobody wanted him. They could unload Eric Branson. Again, he makes mistakes, but he's not afraid to make those moves. And I think that's a big thing that it's going to come with the territory when you make as many moves as a guy like Jim Rutherford does. Pittsburgh is going to play Montreal in the play-in round, hopefully when everything gets sorted out. What's your feeling against that? Because I could say, on paper, they are easily better offensively than the Canadians. Defensive, I could say as well defensive, they have a little bit of an edge. But I think the scary thing would be Carey Price and how he could play, or the Penguins goaltending doesn't work out well. Are you confident in the Penguins could beat the Canadians? Are you unsure? Are you just got to wait? I'm pretty confident about the Penguins' chances against the Canadians. I mean, you're looking at a team that traded away and was a seller at the deadline because they didn't expect to go to the NHL playoffs. So you have a team right now that has some names. I mean, you look at Brendan Gallagher. He can easily get under people's skin, and he's a game-changer when it comes to that team. If Jonathan Drouin is healthy, he's an extremely good player. And Max Domi, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do in the playoff atmosphere. It's not that they don't have skilled players, but I don't believe that Carey Price can steal an entire series from the Pittsburgh Penguins this season with the team that he has in front of him. Because, yes, he had, I think it was a 9-17 save percentage this year, which is, again, Carey Price. He's going to put up those types of numbers. But then also you look at the fact that the Penguins got players... You have Tristan Jari, who put up a 921 save percentage this season. And yes, Matt Murray put up an 899. But towards the end of the season, or up until the shutdown, Matt Murray was playing phenomenal hockey. So it's something that it's going to be a tough matchup no matter what, because you don't know what's going to happen. These players took three months off, and they're only going to get two months to try to reacclimate themselves to play into some sort of playing shape. But I don't think it's going to be an issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins getting past the Canadians. Beyond that, it's going to be interesting. But I just think the top six and the actually the entire forward core of the Pittsburgh Penguins is just going to be too much for the Montreal Canadiens defense to handle. No, I do agree with you. I give Pittsburgh a far edge to beat the Canadiens. The only way I see Montreal winning this series, I mean, no disrespect to half fans out there, is Jeff. The only way they win is Carey Price played like he mm-hmm. did when he won the heart. And Murray and Jerry play the bat of Florida in the 2012 playoffs. That's the only way I see the Penguins losing. Otherwise, and I mean it can happen. Anything stranger things have happened. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at last year, Columbus and Tampa. Strange things can happen, but it, to me, right now, from where I'm sitting, I don't see it happening with the Penguins. I want to quickly get in a little bit about rivalries because I know the Penguins. They do have their fair share of rivals. Mm-hmm. You have the Capitals. You have the Flyers. In your opinion, who do you think the biggest rival is for the Penguins? For the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's got to be the Washington Capitals. Uh, The Flyers have a rivalry that has lasted longer, but I think people don't understand how big of a rival the Washington Capitals were in the 90s as well. I think people think that it started with the Ovi and Crosby stuff, but they were a rival way prior to that. And I think you also look at the fact that the Capitals have been able to challenge the Pittsburgh Penguins year in and year out, whereas the Flyers, yes, They've had a couple of good teams every once in a while, but they've also taken dips down. I mean, I can't remember other than probably 2012 was the last time that the Philadelphia Flyers really had a team that was a danger to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we saw what happened in that. And they continued to try the same things that they did in 2012 and the league evolved. And now you're starting to see the Flyers evolve with it. But 
not as much as the Capitals did. The Capitals were the President's Trophy winners the years the Penguins won the Cup. There's three straight seasons of playoff series that were grueling six and seven game series. So to me, it's the Washington Capitals and it's close, but they have a slight edge over the Philly Flyers. I think everyone looks at that playoff series in 2012 where it was just a head-on collision. But you also look at it as well where the Crosby and Ovechkin era, I would say the Flyers have met the Penguins on, I would say, four occasions, two back-to-back years in 2008-2009, but the Penguins mm-hmm. just demolished them. 2012, it just goaltending was a situation there. And then and then 2018, again, the Penguins just had their way with the Flyers where you're right with the Capitals where all four times they've met in the Ovechkin-Crosby era. It's been close, two seven-game series, two six-overtime winning game series as well. Before I let you go, Nick, I always like to ask everyone I interact with, your favorite moment you watched at the Penguins fan? Was it any of the cup winning games, another game you have in mind, or another moment you've seen? You know, it is a cheap answer because you've won three Stanley Cups and you expect somebody to say the Stanley Cups. I'll give you one. My favorite memory of all time as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan is in 09. Flurry makes that save on Nick Lidstrom, of all people, with time running out. Penguins win the Stanley Cup, first of the Crosby era, first one I had ever seen. Just to see your team raise the Stanley Cup for the first time is a feeling that not many people understand until it happens. And just to see that happen was phenomenal. And it was the greatest thing ever to watch that happen. And non-Cup memories, my favorite thing was probably the stadium series in Pittsburgh. It was Pittsburgh, Philly. I was fortunate enough to go and just that entire atmosphere That entire game was so much fun. It started snowing in the second period. It was great. It was a fantastic experience and one that I will never forget. I also go back to the 29 Cup where it might be a little bit more scaling. The year before, they played Detroit, and Detroit kind of, I would say, had their way with them. The next year, unfortunately, they go down 2-0 and get the series, but after Game 4, I think it was like anyone's cup. Yeah, that series was as back and forth as it could get. I mean, it started the exact same way as the 08 series going down two to nothing, coming back to Pittsburgh, hoping, hoping that it's going to be different that year. And luckily it was. I mean, that Detroit Red Wings team, probably one of the best teams to be ever put on the ice. Those teams in 08 and 09 were so talented and so good. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, the way that some of their players were playing, role players like Talbot, Stahl, Cook, and Kennedy on that third line, and down to their defense, I mean, their entire team stepped it up a level because they knew they had to. Plus the added little extra push of the fact that Marion Hosa was now a Red Wing. That just made it so much more enticing. And once game four happened and it was tied up, I was nervous. I was very nervous. I said, okay, this can actually happen. It's not like last year. This might actually happen. They might do the thing. And they did. And it was a fantastic series again. My greatest memory as a hockey fan and probably one of the best finals we've seen since the turn of the 21st century. I do agree with you there. That final, seven-game series final since the post-lockout in 2004-05, that probably was one of the best finals you could witness. It had everything. You had your skill players. You had Mm storylines. Just incredible. Nick, I appreciate you coming on today. I thank you so much for coming on. I enjoyed our conversation. You've given us an intake about the Penguins. I don't think a lot of people expect. And I well, think thank it's you great. For well, thank me. you very much. Time. Thank you so much.